Let's, let's dive in. In light of much pain and suffering in certain people's lives and some fear that seems lingering, it seems like that mist can't rise fast enough. There's some mornings where the fog is so heavy, and it's like, man, the sun is pounding, but it's not killing the fog. What's going on? This next prayer is really, really good. From Henry Nouwen. Oh, Lord, life passes by swiftly. Events that a few years ago kept me totally preoccupied have now become vague memories. Conflicts that a few months ago seemed so crucial in my life now seem futile and hardly worth the energy. Inner turmoil that robbed me of my sleep only a few weeks ago has now become a strange emotion of the past. Books that filled me with amazement a few days ago now do not seem as important. Thoughts that kept my mind active only a few hours ago have now lost their power and have been replaced by others. Why am I continuously trapped in this sense of urgency and emergency? Why do I not see that you are eternal, that your kingdom lasts forever, and that for you a thousand years are like one day? O oh Lord, let me enter into your presence and there taste the eternal, timeless, everlasting love with which you invite me to let go of my time-bound anxieties, fears, preoccupations, and worries. Lord, teach me your ways and give me courage to follow them. Amen. I believe it is Christ in you who is that source of strength, who will sustain you, who will be your faith when you feel you have none. None of our faith is of our own anyway. This past week, I had a number of things that made me stop, pause, and ponder. And uh, there's some doozies. Never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. Hush until you heal. Oh, there's a lot of people who want to send this one too. <laughs> oh, then it's suddenly a mirror for me because I too have things to still heal of. I get triggered by some things and react. And yeah, it's not always good especially when I'm driving. But anyway, moving on to that. Brene Brown writes, we cannot grow when we are in shame and we, cannot, or we can't use shame to change ourselves or others. That was big. How often have we been trained to be shame givers, judgers, and so if we've been raised with much shame, our reactions to problems and people we don't like or a topic we don't like, we throw shame right away to Try and use that as a bulldozer to shut them up, but it's not working as well these days because people are learning to not get stuck with your shame even though it comes out of your mouth. But this is good. We don't use that to change others. Love changes others. Kindness changes others. Changes us. Brene Brown writes, I went to church thinking it would be like an epidural, that it would take the pain away, but church isn't like an epidural. It's like a midwife. <laughs> I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and discomfort. But what it ended up saying was, I'll sit with you in it. It's funny how our expectations are so big in our minds 
for every part of the day and every person we meet, every conversation, every outcome. Yesterday I'm cheering Go Jays Go. My expectation was one thing. Okay, I mean, that's just sports. Imagine now in your own home. Imagine an argument with somebody or animated discussion. <laughs> uh, the expectation you have on someone else. Imagine the outcome of an event. <clears throat> that was weird. That wasn't on camera. Yes, it was. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> my experience, in my experience, Pete Enns writes, people do not so much deconstruct from Christianity, but from certain forms of Christianity that claim to be the only Christianity. That's a great lesson for us to be careful with our tone, our dogmatism. And this church has helped me with mine on my journey because I've been on a long journey of unlearning and learning. And you have these ups and downs. You have these pendulum swings. And there are some good people who help balance that and say, yeah, do you know you sound like this? Oh, I didn't. Oh, shoot. The deconstruct, it's not a swear word, but it is in some churches. It's an awful heretical thing. I welcome it. I think it's a beautiful thing. But it doesn't mean what some people think it means. Deconstruction is the process of looking at your beliefs and practices with an honest and open mind. It is laying everything out on the table, evaluating it, and deciding what's, what is and is not in alignment with your value system. It's asking questions and having hard conversations. Now, you could take this the wrong way and say, well, my value systems are in charge then. Well, if you want to play that game, then I would say, hang on, I believe that's the conscience. The Holy Spirit is your conscience going through. And you lay it before God and say, here, what stays, what goes. And you're going to be shocked at what goes. Or what has to be put through the perjure again. What has to be reboiled and more stuff burned off of. It's quite amazing. And here's the result, I believe. Always, it'll show you a better, bigger, and more loving God when we unlearn things. It's just discipleship. It's really just growing grace. That, that's all it is. We just have these fancy words for it because it's so extreme for some people, they had to label it because that's what we do. We compartmentalize, put people into boxes. We don't need to do that. Pete Enns writes, People fight about their views of God because they're afraid of the consequences of being wrong. That's huge. Let me read that again. People fight about their views of God because they are afraid of the consequences of being wrong. Show me someone who expresses their faith in, a lang in language peppered with anger, and I'll show you someone who is deeply afraid of losing control of God. <laughs> I think that one's real. I, some pastor told me this, I forget who it was, that the reason people do argue, because if you have to admit that something in your theology is wrong, the unlearning and undoing is like this, I oh, got so big, oh no! And you're suddenly afraid, and yet, I think the Holy Spirit's dragging us through an unlearning, continual purging. If he's going to do it to his disciples, if it happened to Paul as it did, it's going to happen to us too. 
None of us have arrived. And if it's new to you and new teaching, don't suddenly get up on a soapbox and start preaching it and fighting it, defending it, until you've really wrestled in a mature way. Henry Nouwen says, to pray, to listen to the voice of the one who calls us the beloved, is to learn that voice excludes no one. Wow, if we understand what prayer could be about, not just getting our chuck-off list done, but rather about our eyes changing so that we see with the eyes of Christ in us, to see Christ in all others. Brian Zahn writes, if we fail to love political enemies, we fail to love our enemies and fail to follow Jesus. And so we ask for forgiveness, pray for grace, press on in love. That was pretty blunt. Political enemies, that's kind of been ramped up in the last four years. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there and let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. <laughs> last one from Lazar. This is uh, um, Brad Jerzak's mentor. Be holy as I am holy. What is holiness? A holy person, a holy thing, a holy act is consecrated to the service of God who is boundless love. To be holy as God is holy is not about being without passions or sins. Holiness for us is increasing and unselfish love. How can I be consecrated to the service of God? By growing in the service of unselfish love. <laughs> that one's deep. That's worth pondering. Sermon on the Mount. Last week we ended um, with a really, really cool thought devotional that I'm going to share that with you today. Richard Murray, good friend of mine, um, wrote something about uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 37 to 48, or whatever it is in there. It's in the quote. But as we're kind of gently walking through the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to read this to you because it's so good. I, I couldn't say it as if it's mine or twist it. I thought, just, just read his stuff because it's, it's so, so good. So let me take you through this right now. He calls it the Game Changer Alert. God overcomes evil one way and one way only, with good, not with carnal wrath. The Sermon on the Mount reinforces this idea by showing that the Father's perfection, one we are to imitate, lies in how he treats enemies. He loves them. He blesses them. He serves them. He turns the other cheek, walks the extra mile, gives that extra garment, all so that they will thereby ultimately be overcome by the cathartic 
coals of conviction heaped on their souls. Below is the glorious game-changing epiphany from Matthew 5, 38 to 48. This passage is in reverse. This is, he's talking about this backwards. Reading in reverse allows us to better see what the conclusory therefore in the final verse 48 is indeed therefore, because it ends by saying, and therefore be perfect. But you got to understand what it's referring to and why. In other words, what qualifies or sorry, what qualities, sorry, in other words, what qualities does the Father's perfection consist? The previous 10 passages reveal that the Father's perfection lies in his non-carnal and non-vindictive treatment of his enemies. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Pause it for a second. So that you will be, not that you aren't, but that you will actually live like you've been created to live. So you actually reflect who your true identity is. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. Pause there for a second. Don't resist an evildoer. And yet, what do we see in our culture? We're constantly resisting. We throw a Bible verse up and we, we get into a sword fight, a Bible sword fight with people. It's ridiculous. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, Turn also to him the other. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So now, claiming that Jesus is lying here about his father's nature, right? So now claiming that Jesus is lying here about his father's nature and that his enemies are instead just really the soon-to-be-doomed objects of his destructive wrath all makes zero sense and really subverts the Sermon on the Mount. Do you catch that? This is Jesus saying, love your enemies. I saw this little cartoon of a Sunday school teacher talking about this, love your enemies. A little kid stands up. Then why does God torment and put all of his enemies in hell? If you're going to get a little bit rational here and start to think this through, you're going to see how silly some of our thinking is. Here then is the conclusion of the matter. Jesus Christ is is the wrath of God revealed from heaven. And it's not like our carnal wrath at all. His wrath is restorative. And his judgments are curative. Jesus imperatively, I'm blind here, imperatively commanded in the prayer from the cross 
that all be forgiven, for they know not what they do. Ooh, ooh. He didn't say, I'll be back later to wipe out all you with my eternally torturous wrath unless you agree to love and please me. See how ridiculous that sounds? Love me. Well, what happens if I don't? Oh, you just wait and see what happens if you don't love me. We see this in relationships today. If we think God's like that, and there are a lot of people who live their relationships with that same mindset because they're mimicking that false concept of God. It does sound silly. To righteously recap, the Father's perfection and the Son's reflection described in Matthew 5, 38 lies in this. He loves his enemies. He blesses his enemies who curse him. He does good to those that hate him. He sends rain on the just and unjust alike. He sends light on both the good and the evil. He prays for those who despitefully use him. And finally, he doesn't resist evil by returning it with evil, but rather endlessly turns the other cheek, walks the extra mile, gives the extra garment, and in so doing overcomes all evil with good. There's your therapy for the day. How much baggage do we have stuck in our hearts just because we don't understand this? Because somebody has hurt us so badly and we want retribution, we want payback. Are there times to take a break from somebody? Yes, of course there is. Sometimes for the rest of your life, depending on the situation. But just talking in generalities right now, this is a huge, huge lesson. Let's go back to Matthew 5, 38 to 42, teaching about revenge. You've heard the law that says punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Dentists would love that. But that's, he's not saying I say this. He's saying you have heard it said or the law says, okay? Remember he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it? Do you remember that? Really important. This is all in the same section. There's one long sermon that he gives. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer also the other. You do have four cheeks. You knew I'd say that. And if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. This whole idea of carrying a soldier's stuff, the Romans had the right to stop any Jew and ask them to carry their stuff for one mile. The law said so. So you avoid soldiers. <laughs> but they can make you do that. And he's saying, I know. Carry it an extra mile. Be extra kind. Go overboard. Be over generous with your love and kindness towards others. Because these actions, in and of themselves, could be a good to-do list. It's not about the actions. This is about turning your heart into or revealing the heart that you already have. It's not making your heart better. You have a good heart. Just discover the good heart you have. 
Just because you have fog stuck in around your heart and you can't see or in your eyes, you have this fog of darkness and pain and trouble and bad theology messing up how you treat others. God's trying to reveal, live from the truth of who you are. Jesus takes this law and all these laws that have been made to kind of behave to, and he says, that's impossible to be righteous by those laws. I'm going to put it back up to impossible. You can't do it. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. That's a hard one. We also got to look at culture. Honestly, you do. You have to understand the people he's speaking to. Otherwise, religious people can take this and use it against you, and if you're following the letter of the written text, they're going to make you feel shame and guilt because you're not giving them because they asked to borrow something, and now they're going to whip this verse at you. That should be your first sign to, wait a minute, Holy Spirit, help me discern what's going on here. If somebody's trying to club me with a Bible verse, they're trying to have a fight here. What's going on? I've just seen this one happen. That's why I highlighted that. Then he talks about the love for enemies. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Because that's what it said. There's, there's clear rules in the Jewish law of how to treat bad people. And you want to get biblical? Please don't say we are, we're a biblical church. I live my life biblically. I have a biblical husband. I have a biblical wife. Listen, you can make that stuff say whatever you want it to. And there's some horrific stuff. Okay? You want to start quoting verses, I'll give you some verses to quote that you haven't seen for a long time. And they're going to be really uncomfortable if you're going to play that game. We don't live by the biblical written words. We live by the life of Christ, which is revealed in those written words that we have access to. We live by the life of Christ. It's very different. Otherwise, you're, well, my Bible says, hang on, let me find it. No, no. It says I got to do this and this. Then, well, what about this situation? Hang on, let me check my topical index. I'm sure there's something in here about how to live or what do I do with that. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit will teach you how to live. we got to teach children in Sunday school how to hear the voice of God instead of how to follow the written rules. Or they'll never learn how to hear the voice of God. They'll only follow written rules, and that's contagious in our culture. And we, if you've grown up in the church system, we all have contamination from that somewhere. Some of it still lingers. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That doesn't necessarily mean get a whole 100, 200 people, 1,000 Facebook likes to pray for somebody. It doesn't mean that at all. It means you pray. It can be private. It could be your heart. Because how many people does it take for the Holy Spirit to listen to if you have a group of 100 people? One. It's not about the number of people. The Holy Spirit is connected to you, is one with you. The Trinity resides in, with, and around you. How many other extras you got to add on to make sure you get heard because we do that just in case stop the just in case you're saying when you say just in case you're saying i don't really believe that's what you're saying you don't need an army of people to pray with you ask those who you trust and love hey can you pray with me of course they'll pray with you 
but to broadcast as a way of getting attention because sometimes the attention is a whole lot better than the actual work you have to do to get that prayer answered in some ways. Ouch. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. So, when we have winter storms, blizzards, do the Christian homes get spared? I know. When we have rainstorms, or rain, because there's a drought going on, does it only rain on the Christian farmers and houses? No. That's ridiculous. Why? Because our us versus them system that we've been exposed to sets us up to think like that. Oh, I don't do that. Oh, yes, many of us do. And I'll tell you how. You do it in your stories of, oh, the Lord spared me. Oh, there's a car wreck in front of me, about three cars up. Ah, if I had just been two seconds earlier, I would have been the one. The Lord saved me. And we broadcast it all over. Look how wonderful I am. What about the people in that car wreck? How, how are you going to answer that? Like, I'm sorry, some of this Christianese is bull. I'm sick of the Christianese language that sets us up to feel so self holy and self-righteous and we say trite things quickly oh the tornado saved us what about the tornado that just tore down your neighbor's house we become really human when real trouble happens though the humanity of Christ reaches out and we love others we help others in need that's what grace does it's the whole idea of the sunlight and the rain on the righteous and unrighteous. God loves all of his children. That's the point. We've set up a system. The law was a system to only love and care for the, um, the, the Jews and those who are good and really punish those who they've claimed as bad. And yet, in their rules, in their covenants, in their laws, they, it says, do not harm the foreigner. Feed the hungry. House those who need housing in their own law. But no, nobody's quoting that stuff. That's why Jesus is doing this, this message. He's revealing that you have heard it said, the law says, but then he has the gall to say, but I say. And do you know what that would do to the Jewish leaders listening? Drive them nuts. Who are you to say this? If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But, but, therefore, you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I remember teaching this to a youth group uh, when I was a youth pastor. Be perfect. It was called the toughest sayings of Jesus, and this was, this was one of them. That, my perspective on this phrase has changed <laughs> a lot and went from behavioral therapy to recognition of who I am in Christ and living from the life of Christ in me. 
be perfect. What, what could that mean? Um, I'm going to use a common term. Please don't take this the wrong way. But we've heard this line. I'm going to use Dave as an example because he's fun. But Dave and I get into a fight about football. He, he likes this one team. It's awful. But anyway, it's okay. <laughs> we banter back and forth. Um, but when um, he, I'm, I'm flip-flop, okay? I flip-flop teams. That's how it works. I, I just cheer because I'm not your best fan. Um, and then sometimes I have to choose. And we were choosing one time at a football game. And he said to me, I don't know if it was you or not, but I'm just picking on you. He says, come on, Mike, be a man. Pick. And this is not a gender discussion. This is, this is about, he's not saying I'm not a man. He was saying, be who you already are. Be who you already are. Be perfect. Don't try to become, but be. Be who you are already. That crowd did not know that. You do. There's a difference. It's not about attaining here. Let me read from a couple of translations. The message translation says, in a word, what I'm saying is, grow up! Your kingdom subjects, as in you are, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. That is one of the most beautiful summaries of be perfect I've seen. It's not about becoming something that you're not. That's the point. I grew up believing I'm not perfect because they pointed it out to me a lot. And so I believed that false identity that I am imperfect and I will never measure up. I'm not good enough. That, those are my life messages and they still haunt me today. They really do. I can hear somebody's compliment and hear it the wrong way. It's weird how that works. I don't know if anybody else is like that at all, but anyway. This was beautiful. The next one from the Passion Translation is really good too. How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Since you are children of a perfect Father in heaven, become perfect like him. And the Greek and Aramaic, word, Aramaic words for perfect can also mean whole, be complete, fully mature, lacking nothing, all-inclusive, well-rounded, and spiritually mature. He's telling the crowd to grow up. <laughs> oh, he does it so nicely. Amplified Bible. You, therefore, will be perfect, growing into spiritual maturity, both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's why the Amplified Bible is really thick. But it's explaining the translation so you see a different lens instead of just the cold English words. You need multiple translations. I love this last one, the First Nations version. If you welcome only friends, how are you different from others? Even outsiders from other nations do these things. By loving and blessing all people, you'll be walking in the footsteps of your Father from the spirit world above, who is perfect in all his ways. Yes, Jesus said that. 
but he didn't say it with a club in his hand. He did not have a baseball bat in his hand pounding people, be perfect, come on, be perfect, come on, and guilt, shame, guilt, shame, guilt, shame. Not at all. It was a wooing, be perfect, come, be who you already are. But I got these false voices, I have these demons in my head speaking to me negativity. You want demons cast out of your head? There are some voices who speak to us that are awful, that tell us lie after lie after lie. Call those things demons. Oh, we can't do that. Well, why not? It's false messages. I think our minds are being renewed. Jesus is in charge of the renewal process. He's calling us to be perfect. He's calling us to grow up into Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You need hope? Look inside. And then you'll have this filter. If you need one for a time, if, if you can't hear the Holy Spirit well enough yet, then a temporary filter is if the voices and messaging you are getting is shame and guilt and condemnation, it did not come from Christ in you. Reject it. Quit leaving your front door open. Guard every thought that comes your way, every voice, every message. Oh, that might mean work. Oh, I thought I'd just get to sit here and enjoy my great coffee and just let Jesus do his thing. <laughs> That's a nice thought for those who are so exhausted from all their personal striving to become. But as you mature, you realize, no, 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 there's some work here. There's some active involvement from us in our minds and then in our actions and in our participation. If Jesus is actively participating in your life, if the Holy Spirit is actively participating in your life, if the Holy Spirit is actively participating in your life, then you are to actively participate as well because that's mimicking Christ in you. There's no laziness. For those that need to heal then maybe there's time. It's not called lazy then. That's called, I'm healing. I'm trying to figure this out. So don't compare with anyone else. That gets us in trouble. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the good news. We declare the reconciliation that has taken place. We don't try to get people to be reconciled, as in they're not, now they need to be, we declare the reconciliation is taking place. That's the gospel. Christ in you. Start looking for Christ in others, and suddenly you're going to love people better when you start to see the light in everyone else. I know that can mess up your theology, but Jesus kind of did that to everybody on that sermon. <laughs> why, why would you be exempt? The rain falls on the good and the bad, so why not good truth messes us all up? <laughs> and reveals our faulty, very narrow theology. The more you're exposed to people from different cultures and nations, see how they see God, the bigger God gets. It's beautiful. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you reveal Christ in us in a meaningful, fresh way, especially for those that are screaming for some help, to feel you, to sense you, 
to those who have so many questions and are not hearing you? Will you find a way for them to hear you in a way that's meaningful? Will you hold them up, hug them, cry with them as they weep? I pray this in Jesus' name.